If you have your Bibles, take them and um, turn in the or to the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven. Hebrews, chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. Um, It's called the faith chapter just because it tells us and links for us a series of men and women that displayed great faith. It's not teaching us Faith theologically, it's teaching us faith practically. So this is a practical chapter. But if we're not careful, we can actually remain in a theological camp. And I could keep talking to you theologically, but yet we never make a connection about our faith in a practical way. If we do that, I'm talking about the first thing, like stay in the theological camp. We miss it entirely. And it's going to be easy to do it. We've got to resist that temptation. Okay. Because if we stay in the theological camp, what's going to happen is that we're going to know a bunch of theological stuff about faith. But we won't be exhibiting faith. So we've got to learn practically what the author is trying to tell us about faith so that we can then mimic it. So from here in verse 4, we're going to look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 through the end, nearly the end of the chapter. We're going to look at the practical outworking of faith. Learn some lessons that we then can use in our own lives. I'm going to think of this chapter, we're going to kind of look at this chapter as kind of like stretching before it'll work out. Um, I don't do much of either, and I should. Um, I know the scripture says bodily exercise profits little, but it, there is a profit, okay? Um, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We therefore need to look after it and take care of it. So if we're going to start a workout regiment, one of the first things that we must do is stretch. We've got to stretch in order to show our muscles what they're in store for, right? We've got to prepare them. And, and, I mean, think about it. Nothing feels as good as just an early morning stretch. You know, you get up in the morning, and you know, for me, it's like I have to take 10 steps wobbling, and my knees kind of, you know, and then, you know, it's just it's just what happens. Uh, it's, it's I'm not going to say age. I used to do a lot of running when I was younger, and my knees are now uh, paying the price for it. And so it takes me a few minutes. When I stand up, it takes me about 10 steps to kind of get my, my knees under me. Uh, as it were. But, but you know, in that morning time, you just kind of stretch your arms and, you know, just, just feel so good, right? And, and what's the purpose? Well, it's, it's preparing your body for the day, for the work, or for the workout that it's going to be uh, enduring and experiencing. How do we prepare our faith? Have you ever thought about that? How do we, you know, faith is, 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 we looked at last week, is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. I, I mean, there's such a connection between faith to things that we cannot put our hands on. So where is the part that we put our hands on to help us grow our faith? We're going to start looking at that tonight, okay? And I think you're going to find this very profitable for you and your walk with God. Hebrews 11, 
verses 4 through 7. If you have found that text of Scripture, I'd like to read it. You can follow along with me. Let's honor the Lord in His Word. Let's stand together in the reading. Verse 4, By faith, Abel offered a, to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, I pray that you would help us to take the word as it has been read and heard. And to begin letting it speak to us. Father, may you guide every syllable that proceeds from my mouth. And may you anoint this passage, the preaching of this passage, that it will help us to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to have three individuals we're going to look at tonight. And each Sunday night and the weeks to come, we're going to look at people. We're going to look at people. We're going to look at their story. We're going to look at what they did. Each one of them have done something to help us grow and stretch and increase our faith. And tonight, we're starting off with three doozies. First one that we get to is, is going to be old Abel. Abel. Abel was a righteous man because of his faith. Matthew chapter 23, verse 35 reiterated that. The background story to Abel is found in Genesis chapter 4. Basically, what we have is Adam, his two sons, Cain and Abel. Everything that, that, they, that these boys knew about God, it would have come from their dad. And everything that Adam knew about God, he had it from firsthand experience, right? You remember? Because you remember there was a time in the garden when, when God would actually walk with Adam and Eve. Uh, we don't know the time frame between the, 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 the fellowship, like how much fellowship they had with God until Eve partook of the, the forbidden fruit. But there was some portion of time. Could you, I just, wow, it's just kind of amazing to think about the time Adam and Eve had directly with the Lord. So everything that they knew about God, they passed it to their sons. Now think about this. There was no Mosaic law. There were no written down instructions of offering. What these boys knew, Adam had taught them. And so when we saw that, <clears throat> when we see these boys offering their sacrifice, we realized that there were two different sacrifices. You remember? Right? Cain and Abel had two di very different sacrifices. The problem wasn't in what they were offering. What was the problem? You know this. What was the problem? Can somebody tell me? Starts with the letter A. It's one with an attitude. Remember? Cain had a horrible attitude behind his offering. And God told, you know, will you do well? Question. You know, don't, don't let this anger take a hold of you. Well, it did take a hold of him. 
just because I have preference over Abel's offering, and so you know the story, Abel was killed. One commentator spoke, says, Abel speaks to us today because he was the first martyr of the faith. I think that's a good analysis. But why is he the first one? Well, it says that he had a more acceptable sacrifice. Though he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts through his faith, even though he died, his life still speaks to us as an example. The way that it's worded in Matthew 23, if you take your finger, put it in Hebrews, let's flip over to uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse uh, 35 is where I want to reference here. Matthew 23 is that that, uh, famous chapter where Jesus, I mean, he hammers it to the Pharisees. And he calls a spade a spade, and he is not afraid to, you know, call it like it is. And this is exactly what he's doing. He's blaming them for all sorts of trouble. Then you get to uh, verse 35. Verse 35 is a very interesting verse in more than one way. And uh, if I have time, I'll try to explain this to you. Look at verse 35, or let's go to verse 34 then. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel. So he's considered a prophet. Why? Because his, his life spoke a message. His life was a testimony. To the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all thing, or all these things will come upon this generation. Now, here's a little side note about this verse. It's really interesting. Where do we find, what book of the Bible do we find Abel? Genesis. How many of you know which book of the Bible do we find Zechariah, the son of Berechiah? Anybody? Second Chronicles. Interesting note, in the Hebrew Old Testament, if you were to go to a Jewish synagogue and you take their copy of the Old Testament scriptures, the first book of their Bible, Genesis, the last book of their Bible, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. He says, what you've done, you've killed all the prophets from A to Z. Abel, to Zechariah. You've killed him. Do you remember the rich man and Lazarus? And you remember this rich man, he said, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he could see, uh, he could see Lazarus, right, afar off. And you remember he said, if you could just send someone, what was the reply? He said, they've already had them. They've already had these guys. They've already got the law and the prophets. They've had them. And if they wouldn't listen to them, then they're not going to listen to anybody else. Why? It's the same message. It's the same message. Abel is commended for his faith, not only as being the, the very first martyr, but, but, but think about this. He, he just got it from his dad, and, and he just wanted to please the Lord in worship. In worship. Then we get to verse 5. Back to Hebrews 11. By, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. 
he was not found because God taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is an interesting guy, too, because, by the way, Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. Noah's father was Lamech, I believe. And if you read in the text there in Genesis chapter chapter 5, You've got to understand, this was the generation of wickedness that was leading up to a global flood for which God was going to cleanse and purge the earth. Enoch was a part of that generation. But he wasn't like that generation. He walked with the Lord and he, was, he pleased the Lord. Why did God take him out? So he wouldn't die by a flood. Now, I'm going to suppose that he would have lived long enough, okay? Understand, I'm kind of making a presumption that, that may or may not have occurred, but, but there are other wicked ways to die, right? He could have been murdered, right? He could have died some other violent death like Abel did. Here is a wicked generation, and in the midst of this wicked in the midst of everybody else doing their own thing, Enoch is not. There's only one person whom he wants to please, and that's God. God says, you know what? I, I'm going to take care of that boy, and I'm going to scoop him up. I'm going to pick him up so he won't even taste death, and I'm going to take him with me. And then he was just no more. What happened to him? I, I don't know what happened to his body. He was just no more. Enoch was taken to heaven, and Seen no more. The actual word there in the Hebrew can be translated as translated. Translated. We hear that word sometimes in, in, in hymnary, in older hymns, the word translated. And it's a word used to describe the transition between our earthly life and our eternal life. It lets us know, too, that God does have a different plan for those who do trust in Him and walk with Him. I've known, you've known, very faithful servants of God who died very tragic deaths, quick deaths, prolonged deaths, and everywhere in between. But one thing that we need to note here is that in the midst of of the circumstances and the culture for which Enoch lived, he stood out. And this standing out went a few more generations to our next guy, Noah. But before we get to Noah, there's something strange that happens to our text that that I have not been satisfied with any commentator that I have read on this. We have almost a parenthetical statement about faith. And it seems to just come out of nowhere. We're talking about Abel, then we're talking about Enoch, and then in verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You almost want to think that that verse ought to belong at the very end. Well, let's talk about all the people. Let's look at their examples. And then that's a good place to fit it, right? Well, listen to me. God intended for this verse to be right here to teach us something 
right here. We get no further than Genesis chapter 5 and we are still being taught that the basis of justification, that the basis of us and our walk with God, our relationship to God is based on faith. Notice that this verse comes into a genealogy just prior to the Mosaic law. Because it is still trying to teach us that even without Ten Commandments, we have enough in this world to know how to please King Jesus. It's that obvious. That's why in Romans chapter 1, Paul beginning his diatribe to convict us in the belief that we got to understand that we are sinners before we're anything else. He says... That there is enough, he argues in Genesis 1, there is enough in creation that was breathed out by the command of God to convict us of sin. Why? Because there is enough in this creation that reveals a one true God of this universe and that he can be known. That's why this verse is right here. To let us know, no matter which way you go into the scriptures, A basis or the basis of our walk with God and our fellowship with God is by faith. By faith. Do you realize that battles have been fought over that word? Do you realize that global movements have been been born out of that word? Do you realize that people today still fight and argue over this word By the way, it's only evangelical Christianity that believes fully in this word. Every other system of faith outside of evangelical Christianity will teach you at some point in time that your justification comes by faith plus something else. That's why in Catholicism, you have to perform meritorious acts so that grace can be dispensed to you. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, not only do they just completely mess up the doctrine of Jesus, but they're going to tell you that any type of justification that may or may not exist, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to go hand out your tracts and you're going to have to go do this and do this and do this. No matter which way you go. Verse 6. I would memorize it if I were you. It's a good one to memorize. Underline it. Highlight it. Get to know it. Then we get to verse 7. Noah. And without faith. It is. Excuse me. Verse 7. I'm about to read verse 6 again. Verse 7. By faith Noah. Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. What was unseen? Rain? A flood? I mean, the earth had not seen anything like this. Ever. Not even Noah. Now, obviously, something was keeping plant life and watering the ground. I mean, the scripture talks about what was there in place. But a rainfall, a torrential rainfall that would be a global flooding event... I don't know what type of 
floods you've ever lived through. In 1999, an earth-shattering flood hit eastern North Carolina. Hurricane Floyd. Just a week or so prior, we had been visited by Hurricane Dennis. And that was a rain-making event. And a week after that, we had Hurricane Floyd. All of eastern North Carolina flooded. It was the largest, to this date, the largest FEMA mitigation grant ever done in the history of the United States was for this flood. As well as the largest evacuation order and all those things by the federal government. Hurricane Katrina doesn't qualify because you remember, if you remember all in the news and all that stuff, none of that stuff ever happened with Katrina, you see. So this event kind of stand on, and, and there was water everywhere. Dead bodies everywhere. That's the only thing I can picture when I think of a flood. We walked, we're riding through the town of Princeville. Princeville was one of the towns that was hit the hardest. Anytime you see a documentary about Hurricane Floyd on the Weather Channel or something like that, they'll go and they'll film it from Princeville because it was one of the hardest hit by the Tar River. Cars in a tree. Houses on top of one another. Just floated there. I can't picture anything that would cover the entire face of the earth so much that it would top the tallest mountain, which would have been Everest, I guess, at that time. It's a big event. Moses had never heard of anything. Nobody had ever seen or heard of anything like that. Yet here's what he did. He started building a boat. What's a boat? And why would we need one of those? But this was Noah's fate. It was going to happen. The Lord said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It may have sounded ridiculous. And he was ridiculed. Noah chose to believe the only source of authority that truly mattered. By the way, the only people that Noah wound up saving was his own family. I think that's great evangelism. Maybe in your circles and in your lifetime of evangelism, the only souls that you'll ever win or be a part of winning will just be of your own family. I say job well done. So we've woken up in the morning, we're stretching, and we're getting ready for what we're going to put our bodies through in this workout. What did these three men teach us about stretching our faith? Let me give you three things very quickly. Number one, a God-pleasing faith worships Christ as Lord. Abel is our example here because we opened it. Listen, the very first guy that we're talking about, he is giving us an example of worship. Worship to who? Worship to God. So we know that faith is based on a, on a relationship between us and God, not us and anybody else. My faith begins and it's going to end with God. And I've got to worship him as Lord. Now, Abel didn't have Jesus Christ. I mean, his time on earth was, was yet to come. But we are post the resurrection. Our faith is going to begin with Christ because that's how we're going to have a faith, uh, have a faith that is pleasing to God. But I must worship Christ as Lord. What do you mean, Pastor? I believe... 
in the scriptural doctrine of lordship salvation. Lordship salvation teaches us that Christ, for him to be your savior, that is redemption from your sins and eternal life, he must also at the same time be your Lord. He controls and dominates everything in your life and everything in your life is surrendered to him. In other words, you do not do things on your own accord anymore. That is lordship salvation. You cannot ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life and home in heaven, yet reserve something in your life, right? And say, well, God, I want to keep control of this. If you keep control of something, you are automatically going to do it in a bad way. Why? Because you're a sinner. So your only way to do things, it is in a sinful way. Christ says, I'm not going to do that. If thou shalt confess with your mouth, right? And what was the, what were some of the operative words in there? Remember Romans chapter nine. You can quote this as well as I do. Jesus Christ is what Lord, Lord. He is in control of everything. That's what Abel did. And the first way I want to stretch my faith. And the way I want to do that is making sure that my life is surrendered in, an, in, 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 a, in a, just a, an act of worship. Now, how do I do this practically? Well, sometimes worship can be difficult for us, especially in a, in a, like a weekday setting. It's easy to do this, right? You could just sit and listen to me or go to sleep or whatever. But it's easy to do. Tomorrow, you're on your own. You don't have me to listen to. Therefore, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to practice the spiritual disciplines. You've got to do it. I know it's not always easy because guess what? I've got to do that. You're not preaching to me. And so here's what I would do. If I were you, if I'm struggling, here's what I would do. Praying or whatever. Take two days. This week, take two days and say on, on these two days, Tuesday and Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to pray and read my Bible. I'm going to take out like 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to pray and read my Bible. Just do it for two days a week and do it for about three weeks. And then add another day. Then switch and say, okay, well, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to have a time of worship, right? In the morning or at night before I go to bed, I'm going to have I'm going to just a time of worship. I'm going to pray and read my Bible, read a devotional, do it three days a week. You see what I'm doing there? Very slowly. You're able to add it and get used to it. It's stretching yourself. And what are you doing? You're worshiping Christ as Lord. I'm telling you. If you want a radical change of the outlook of your life, you start it with God first. I'm just telling you, and, 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 I'm, and it, it is awesome. My work is automatically better. My outlook on life is better. I mean, it's just, it's just better. I handle hardships better. I'm, I'm not as stressed out. Any, you know, it's just, it's just better. Abel teaches us the way that we can start stretching our faith is just beginning with worship. As Christ is Lord. Number two, a God-pleasing faith walks blindly but not foolishly. It walks blindly but not foolishly. Faith means that you're not going to see everywhere that you're going. Okay? But it doesn't mean I'm going to walk and go into dangerous places automatically. For an example... Uh, last night, my family and I, we were making our way back from, from Orlando. We took our, our two nephews to Disney World. First time they'd ever been. We're on our way back. The inevitable happens. Potty break. 
My dad called and said, the boys have got to go, and they got to go now. I said, Dad, we are in downtown on I-95. Number one, I don't even know of a place to go. And number two, if I did, I wouldn't go there. Okay? All right? I said, Dad, we'll stop the first place that I can think of. Okay? I didn't have anything planned, but I wasn't going to be foolish. Do you see the difference? God-pleasing faith says, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you enough that there are some places that I know that I can go, should go, and need to go. But I'm not going to take foolish risks. We're getting ready to, to prepare our budget for next year. I believe a, a great budget will step out on faith uh, adequately. But it would be foolish if we gave y'all a million-dollar budget. That would be foolish, right? We don't even come close to raking in a million dollars. Or collecting, that was a bad way to explain it. Bringing in a million dollars in our tithes and offerings. We don't do that. We're not going to give a budget that just is it's just going to be a, 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 a foolish proposition that sets us up for failure because that's what's going to happen. But faith will walk and it has to walk blindly because the moment you start seeing, it's no longer faith. That's when we start walking by our own sight. What does that mean? It, it just it simply means this. Enoch, he was released from death due to his faith. Here's how he did it. Everything around him was pointing in one direction, but he knew that there was something in his heart that orientated him to, to another direction. It means that our conscience, if we do, number one, now, now this, this is kind of a chain link thing. If we worship, number one, you will have enough spiritual common sense, I'll call it. You will have enough spiritual common sense to know how to do, number two. To walk by faith. You'll get to know the mind of God. You will get to know what he's going to want of you. And what he expects of you. You're going to get to know him so much better. And as a result you'll know exactly. Where to take those steps. Where you know for a fact it's going to be by faith. Right? You don't see it. You'll know how to do it. But you know it's not going to be a foolish endeavor. You see. So God pleasing faith. By the example of Enoch. We are. By the way, walking by faith tends to miss the hardship that others experience too, by the way. Those of you or those who like to walk by their own eyesight usually wind up in more trouble anyway. Did you know that? Scripture gives us tons of examples. Eve, when she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food, she partook. Samson, remember the judge, Samson, when he saw that woman that was pleasing to his eye. Remember Delilah? And what did he do? It was so funny. He tells mom and dad to go get her. I want, I want to marry her. So mom, dad, y'all go get her and bring her to me so that I can marry her. When we start walking by what we see, we're going to wind up getting in trouble. Remember, our vision is tainted by sin. That's why I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> we can't see the way God sees things. We have to do it by faith. All right, number three. A God-pleasing faith works. It does something. I believe the book of Hebrews is as much about work as the book of James is. I know we talk about Hebrews being the, the uh, you know, book about faith, and then the book of James is about working. I don't see... Matter of fact, James argues that the two cannot be separated. Okay, let me give you an, an example. If you flip over to, uh, to the book of James, uh, uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2. We'll, we'll do this very quickly, I promise. 
James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, if, if he's doing anything here, he is not only preaching his own uh, lesson, but he's reinforcing the subject matter of the book of Hebrews. James chapter 2 and verse 14. Are you there? Say amen. Sounds like a lot of you. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, well, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Well, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I've tried to articulate this verse. Basically, he's saying that a dead faith is no good to anybody. It's no good to you. Things that are dead don't do anything. It's just dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you don't have any outworking of your faith, then how can you prove that it's there? You can't even prove that it's there. Because there's nothing that you're doing. Now, we're not talking about justification. We're not, we're not talking about how you were made right with God. We're talking about how your faith is working out because of your justification. You believe, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. There's your faith. Well, even the believe, demons believe that, so they've got faith too, right? So you're no better than the demons. And they shudder. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what, that, that, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? No. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited, counted it to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You just don't have faith and can say that it, it, it's just there without doing something. This doesn't work because your faith is not working. And so a God-pleasing faith will do something sometimes beyond our own comfort zone. I know it may be hard for you to believe that preaching is way out of my comfort zone. Pastoring is way out of my comfort zone. Being in ministry in general is outside of my comfort zone. I wasn't born to be an ambassador of God. I was born a sinner. God transferred, and, and, and when he changed me in this metamorphosis that, 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 that the actual scriptures use that word, in this change that happened in my life, God made me and equipped me with the things that I needed to accomplish his will. He does the same for you. I'm not saying that I'm not being me. I like to be me as a reflection of my pastorate. I don't want to be anybody different. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Brother Bob, it took me a long time that I can be me and it's okay. It's okay to, to be dumb and say, it's okay to not know everything. I can learn, right? It's for you. It's okay that you don't have to have everything figured out just yet. But our faith will help us to figure it out because we are not going to walk by just what we know. Because listen, our knowledge is limited. Therefore, we won't be walking a whole lot, right? So if we're going to step by faith, we get, we get to go into territories that we've never seen before. Well, that's interesting because Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. 
sometimes the Bible just makes sense. Just like, it's like, oh, I get it now. Right? It, it just explains itself sometimes. You don't need me. Noah was made of some pretty stout stuff. He was doing what no one else had done and was doing because he was assured of something that no one had ever seen before. I I see this in a funny way. Have y'all seen these people that are getting ready for the zombie apocalypse? Have y'all seen this stuff? Okay, there's... that there's gonna one day there's gonna be a zombie apocalypse according to whatever and they've got these vehicles they've got these places carved out in their homes or whatever or underground in case the zombies attack because it's all the rage on like entertainment and TV shows The Walking Dead and all that dumb stuff you know if you like it go ahead I I you know entertainment all right I guess first of all we ain't gonna see it okay but we're we're not. But they sure act like we are. It's kind of an example. There's some stuff we ain't going to see. And there's some things that we don't see. We have to walk by faith. And we walk by those things that the scripture affirms in our life. Well, let me give you, let me give you just, just uh, three additional things very quickly about our worship. Number one, it needs to be a sustained experience. It really does. Our worship, the reason why I'm a proponent of Sunday night is it's that last kind of like it's that last pep rally that I've got for my life before Monday morning. I, I, I need to have it. I really do. And, 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 you know, many churches do it a variety of ways. They have small group meetings. I mean, they, but they have something on a Sunday night before they launch everybody out into their mission fields. So it needs to be a sustained experience. Because on, on Monday, we, we've got to do the same thing we were doing today. And then on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me, is, is your worship a sustained experience or do you cut it off on Monday morning when you go to work? I will tell you this, you will make a mistake if you draw a line between the secular and the sacred and pretend that they are two different worlds. You can't do that. Okay, number two, walk. Um, doing those things which may be uncomfortable in a way that, that your level of danger, okay, And reward is equal as God directs. In other words, I want my walk. Remember, we're not going to be foolish about it, but I do want to take some steps that I know that my faith will be rewarded in the same manner by which I've stepped out on faith. So think about your walk. Are you doing some things that are kind of stretching you a little bit? uh, That you say, well, I I don't know if, um, I really don't know if I could do a trip to India. Miss Susan, anybody here could do a trip to India, couldn't they? He will make a way. Anybody can do it. Okay. Anybody can do it. Anybody can go on a mission trip. Anybody can go to your neighbor across the street. Anybody can go and have that, that difficult conversation. But even outside the mission field, anybody can have that conversation they need to have with their spouse or their children or with the Lord himself. Anybody can step out and serve in that position where you know you feel like God may be leading them, but I don't, I don't know. You know, again, you, do, you don't do it in a foolish way. You don't you know charge hell with a squirt gun. But where's your walk? And then last, where's your work? I read that text in James chapter uh, James chapter two about our work revealing our faith. What about your work? If your faith, if if we could just describe your faith by virtue of what you're doing, 
what would your faith look like? Let me say it again. If we could describe your faith based upon the work that you're doing, what would your faith be looking like? Those are three good questions to think about as we enter into our our time of response. And I want you to think about that tonight. What about your worship? What about your walk? And what about your work? Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we have taken a generous time in study of the word tonight, but it's been a profitable time. Father, I pray that as we move into this response time, Lord, would you please direct every single one of us in the route that we should take. Maybe a prayer in our seat, maybe a prayer at this altar, maybe a prayer with a pastor, maybe just just something that you have revealed to someone that they need to do tonight as soon as this worship service is over or tomorrow morning, first thing. Father, I I just trust you and I, I give this time to you for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.